Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and I rejoin with our investigators on Horror on the Orient Express. And so we have a wonderful show prepared for you today. And so we're going to start with introductions to my right. Hello, uh, I'm Mike, and I'm playing Mr. James Robert Fraser. And to his right. Hello, I'm Rena, and I'm playing Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, who is very excited to finally find out what's in this book. Hmm, perhaps we shall at the end of the table. Hello, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith. To his right. Hi, I'm Miranda, and I'm playing Maggie Bellinger. And last but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Professor Richard Courtney. And speaking of the professor, uh, as we lift the curtain tonight, the professor has arrived at Lady Elizabeth's residence in Kensington. A box, I imagine, carefully clutched under one arm as uh, the two of them are going to begin investigating what exactly this book and perhaps the device the professor has are really all about. And so we'll start it off with a fresh knock on the door from the professor. So, um, yeah, I'll uh, go and answer the door. Yeah, the door opens up and the professor is standing outside. Ah, Professor uh, Courtney, yes. Yes. Good. Yes. Good morning. Good. Good to see you again. Good morning. Good morning. Do, do do come in. Do come in, please. Um, allow me to take your hat and coat. All right. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Most inclement weather this morning, is it not? Well, I mean, we've certainly seen better days. Certainly, it's not terrible for London, really. Well, I believe her ladyship uh, is expecting you. So, if you'd like to follow me, she's in the drawing room. Yes. Bring him through to the drawing room. Sure. Uh, Lady Elizabeth, the uh, drawing room door opens and Professor Courtney Richard has arrived and uh, he stands there with uh, somewhat of a large dark box under his arm. I have been sitting in this drawing room for the past probably two hours, uh, eagerly waiting for him to show up, like just occasionally looking out the window uh, calling in Fraser, much to his annoyance, is, is he here yet? Is he here yet? Uh, because I'm just very excited to open this book. Uh, so as soon as he walks through the door, uh, I, I'll stand up and and uh, hold my hand out. Professor, it's marvelous to see you. Come, come, come in. Yes, good. Good morning. It's uh, it's well, fantastic to catch up with you again. Yes, yes. You you brought it. Yes. Well, yes. This it's it's in this box. And you, you have the book with you? Uh, she holds it out because it's been under her arm. Fraser, please ask for some tea, maybe some biscuits as well. Thank you. Yes, uh, of course, your ladyship, right away. I'll put the put the book on the table and just look over it uh, at Richard expectantly. This tome, Richard, is quite impressive. It's probably the size of a 
a large calculus textbook. It's uh, it's quite something. And the edges are all cornered in metal. And it has heavy, dark metal clasps that hold it shut. And you can tell that there isn't there doesn't appear to be a direct way on how to open them. And it's almost as if they all have a, a facing lock. Uh, but there don't seem to be any kind of easy latches to undo them. It... Uh, it looks quite imprisoned. Hmm, my word. I mean, this is um, quite an oddity. Um, someone's gone for a lot of bother to protect this. Yes, well, Father said I wasn't supposed to open it, but we all know how that's going. So I don't know if he's the one who put this strange contraption on it uh, or if it was always that way and the key is lost or, or, or what, but it came to me this way. Hmm, it's curious. Richard's going to take a, a good look at the book and sort of pick it up and uh, just see what he can sort of see from it. Yeah, there's definitely a weight to it as you lift it from the table. It's, it's several kilos heavy. <laughs> the cover itself is uh, bound in reddish sort of leather. You can also see that the, the pages within are fairly well kept, even for what you assume is a rather older book just by the the way the uh, the binding appears. That said, though, it, it, it weighs a considerable amount, several kilograms, uh, just to heft up. It does kind of remind you of a math textbook in that way. Would Richard know roughly how old it is? I mean, he's, he's handled a lot of books, um, you know, some old, some new. So would he, would he have an idea as to how old this thing is? Uh, not, not specifically, but just sort of, you know, is it... You know, a couple of hundred years old or something that was printed maybe 20 years. Yeah, you would say that it's at least a couple hundred years old. It has a feeling of something that's even older, though. Like, even as you move the book over and turn it to see its edges, and you get a feeling from this book, it's been probably in her family or in a family for several hundred years. Hmm. Well, I've certainly seen my fair share of books um, as you can imagine this is something unusual, something special it certainly has an age and a feel to it did your father say where, where this came from? did he hand it down? was it handed down to him? I don't know, it was in his personal library, I saw it on the shelves a few times but I was never allowed to actually take it out and then it was just brought to me after of course father died so I didn't get a chance to ask him any questions or, or learn anything about it beyond what he said in his letter. It's certainly curious. Yes, isn't it? Yes. It's a shame we don't know more about it, about its history, its origin, but... Uh, well, surely your device could maybe help with that. I'm not sure. Maybe. You say you've tried to open it already. What, what have you tried? Well, I brought in the local locksmith, um, and he spent quite a great deal of time trying to figure out how to make a key to, to open it, and it completely stumped him. I know he spoke to some others uh, in the field, and they couldn't get to it either, so... Hmm. Do you have any other suggestions? Well, I could take a quick look at the lock. I mean, I had some experience with those things. Um, they're, they're quite fascinating, some of the locks. Um, curiosity, you understand? Of course. So if, if Richard examines the lock, does he... Um... Does he sort of see anything obvious or anything strange? I think I'll go on the latter of the two first. There are some strange 
attributes that these three sequential lock mechanisms across the, what we would say, the outer edges of the book that keep it shut. One of those characteristics is, is that whatever is inside the locking cover is fairly well protected. So while the book itself might be older, you're not so certain about the age of the locking mechanisms themselves. They might be a little newer than you were expecting. You would expect this to be, well, probably if it's a hundred, couple hundred years old, the locking mechanisms wouldn't be super complex. Even though they're made from what appear to be you know, some sort of iron, they, they don't appear to be of the same age. It's difficult just to get a real view of what goes on inside the lock. Yes, this is, um, well, the locks appear to be possibly newer than the book. I mean, something from a few hundred years ago wouldn't be that difficult to uh, to open, and, and the locks aren't that big. Um, so the, the, the complexity, you understand, is, is limited by the size, yet um, now these are certainly interesting. I mean, we could certainly explore using my device and uh, and see if that yields any results, although I have to confess I'm not entirely sure how it works. Well, half the fun is learning, isn't it? Absolutely. Richard's getting quite uh, quite excited at this. Should we give it a go? Of course. She smiles up very eagerly at him. Mr. Fraser, it's at this point you return. Set it down over there, Fraser. Don't want it too close to the book. No, no, of course, Your Ladyship. Uh, are you planning to... Uh... Are you planning to open the thing, then, Your Ladyship, if you don't, don't mind me don't mind me asking? Well, we're certainly hoping to. <clears throat> and you're entirely sure that's wise? Well, not entirely, no, but I'm never entirely sure of anything. It'll be fun, at least. As you wish, Your Ladyship. Um, would you like me to uh, remain here with you, or uh, shall I go about my duties? Please do stay, Fraser. You're involved in this whole situation. I'd like you to be here. Of course, of course. Uh, I'll just sort of stand discreetly um, to one side, ready to uh, spring into action, should I be required to Of course, to so. of course. <laughs> so, Professor, would you like tea first or books first? Forbidden knowledge or biscuits? I am somewhat tempted by a biscuit, I have to confess. It's, it's been a long morning. Oh, very well. Uh, tea first and then we open it. Yes, the tea, the tea may get cold otherwise, and that, that would be a shame. Can't have that. What a disaster cold tea would be. I'll pour some tea for her leadership. And, uh, uh, Mr. Courtney, how do you take it? You know, sort of normal strength with a, a dash of milk, if, uh, if, if you can. Thank you. Very good. Martin, as you're sipping the tea there, Richard gets the sense that there's a sound coming from the box you brought. It's at the back of your perception. It's almost like a high-pitched whine. Um, It starts very slowly at first outside of your left ear, but it begins to invade the muscles in your neck, and you end up just slightly twitching, and and it's it's gone. Well, should we we get to it? Let's let's get this out, and and Richard's going to move over to the box. Um, set the cup of tea down and uh, remove his device. Okay. Richard opens this box. And when he does, he removes a device. If you're not a nautical person, it seems a bit strange. There is a 
somewhat of a triangular nature to it, at least at first, because I assume, Richard, you put it away folded closed, yes? Uh, yeah, Richard would have put it back in a, yeah. you know, a tidy state. So attached to this somewhat triangular shape, there are what look like levers. There's also a, uh, what almost looks like a very small, I guess spyglass is the right way to put it. And then there are prongs that come off of the facement of it that have small, colorful lenses. And the body of it is a beautiful, almost pearlescent color. And so when he brings it out into the light of the uh, the drawing room, because it's so well lit in here, you can see the light itself almost dances across the frame in this beautiful mother-of-pearl fashion. That is lovely. Isn't it wonderful? I should, should say, this... Um sort of looks like a, a traditional sextant in this in this form but um, if I manipulate this it does rather transform and uh, Richard's gonna uh, do what he did before to uh, to open this up okay you go through the motions and you slowly uncradle it from itself and you see the sextant this device split into two with the top of this triangular piece serving as the hinge point. It opens. It's like it's come out of its shell. As you can see, it's um, not like a traditional sextant. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those sorts of things, but uh, most of them don't open, as I understand. I, I've certainly done some reading on it since, uh, since Professor Smith gave this to me. And it's, uh, yeah, it's very unusual. As you can see, and Richard's going to point out um, some of the lenses, there are lenses on the side and the right side, and fortunately, um, as you can see, one's missing and one's cracked. I'm very interested to see whether your book contains any information about this, and we might try and repair the, the missing bits, although it certainly works without it. Well, we can certainly try now, can't we? Indeed. I believe I've mentioned I've had a number of experiences with this, some of them certainly did take me back into the past. I was able to, to certainly get a view of things from before, but I'm quite sure it's always what happens. What do you mean? What else could be happening? Well, when I looked through it one time, I, um, I was met with a vision of some cliffs and certainly didn't seem where I lived, whereas before I'd looked through it and I saw what I can only assume to be a Victorian family in, in my own house, presumably from a different era. But um, I certainly don't think there are ever any cliffs or, or hills or mountains or anything of that sort um, in Vauxhall. So and sometimes it, it takes us to a different time and a different place and maybe other times just a, a different time. Fascinating. I would love to see how it works. She's staring up at him very eagerly, just like, yes, please. Fraser in, in the corner of the room is, is looking bemused and uh, slightly uh, incredulous disbelief, I think is probably the best way to describe <laughs> it. So what is this man talking about seeing other places through this strange... Fraser, you've let, you've let a nutter in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, there might be a, a slight twitch in the side of his face that betrays his, his thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way it works, you you hold it up to your face as if it's um, you know a kaleidoscope, a, 
a thing that you look through and you pick a lens from the left and a lens from the right and I've made some notes of course I've been recording what I've been doing as as any person would in my field things just change and and then you here let me show you and Richard's going to thumb through his his notes and uh, just work out what settings the lenses were in when he first looked through this which took him back to uh, what looked like a Victorian period in his own house Uh, that would be the pink lens on the left and on the right you would use the yellow lens. Richard will adjust this so that the pink uh, pink lens is prominent on the left and the yellow on the right and very gingerly hand it towards uh, Lady Fitzroy. Would you care to, uh, to take a look? I thought you'd never ask. She's going to take it very carefully. She doesn't want to break anything, but she's obviously very enthusiastic about this whole process. Do be careful, your ladyship. I'm being careful. I know you're watching too. It'll be fine. Mr. Courtney, is it, this is some kind of kinematograph or, or something of that ilk, is it? I'm still trying to determine its exact nature. On one hand, you could look at it like that. Um, sort of something that allows you to see into the past and, um, you know, sometimes other places. So it's it's almost like a... Like being at the picture house, yes. Well, mix mixture <laughs> of the picture house and a, a telegraph, perhaps. So it, it's sort of... You see things that are in different places. I, I, it's, it's hard to explain, but... Uh, well, uh, yeah, yes, it's, 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 uh, they're photographs, are they not? Uh, moving pictures. While they're having this conversation, I have already put it up to my eyes, and I'm looking at the book through them. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. Well, why don't you make a power roll? Hell yeah. Okay, what is my power? Okay. Your power is 70. Yeah, 70. It's really good. Hmm. Okay, let's see. Ooh, 35. That is a hard success. Really? Yes. Well, why don't you go ahead and spend five points of magic? Sweet. Mm, maybe. <laughs> so you put it up to your face and you align both of these small spyglasses with your eyes to see through it. On the left-hand side, you begin to see a shade of pink cover everything and then on the right hand side you begin to see a shade of yellow cover everything and as you get closer and closer to see a a more definitive picture because you want to be able to focus in on the book you realize you're going to have to get this mask very close to your face and so just with reckless abandon you press the mask against your face and when you do you feel it adhere a bit to your face and then you feel it cover the sides of your face, left and right, and your vision blurs for a moment and then is radically different. Your vision go to something for a moment undescribable. You see the, the drawing room as it were, but it must be years ago. At the far end of the room where the table is, your father sits. He has what looks to be a large book in his hand. And next to him is a woman, very beautiful, dark hair, olive skin, definitely not your mother. And he seems to be combing over the pages of this book. You can tell that the edges of the book are hard and iron-bound. And so you immediately correlate the book you were going to look at with this 
this same tome that your father has in his hands. And as she lovingly strokes his hair, she says, the choice is yours, but we both know what happens if failure comes to our door. The roots are strong. The time is now. So for the other two of you in the room, what you see when Lady Elizabeth puts this up to her face is the almost butterfly-esque mask clamped down on her face. And you see the remaining lens holders. We would call them shades in the nautical term. They become long prongs and they tack down on the side of her head, almost as, as a clamp. I immediately move to her side. Sure. And, uh, and look with astonishment at, uh, at Richard. So, Mr. Mr. Courtney, what, what on earth is going on here? What is this thing doing? That's when she begins screaming. And I'm going to immediately, as soon as that happens, I'm going to try and extract her out of this thing that's attached itself to her face. What you'll need to do is you'll need to make a power roll contested with her pow. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Because I'm assuming that she's going to want to continue to have it on her face. Probably, yes. Right, because you don't know you're screaming. Nope. We shall see. If we you shall can see. defeat me with, with the dice. <laughs> yeah, well, how, how ironic, isn't it? Okay, that's a success for me. Okay. And Richard, what are you doing at this point? Richard's going to sort of close as well and say, hang, hang on a minute, my good man. I've uh, used this several times and uh, it, it, it's fine, I promise you. Be, be careful. We, we don't know what will happen if you remove it forcibly. You, you could harm the lady. All right, um... Mr. Fraser, what do you have for your power roll? Uh, over 55, I have a 12. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> okay. Thank you, lovely guy. So does that uh, then just be that over 50 over 12, so that's a hard success? Um, and I had a regular success. So you begin to extricate the mask off of her. Uh, so as soon as it breaks skin contact with her, the lenses and their armatures release from the side of her face. And there is this wash of vapor that comes off of her face and off the back of the mask. It's almost smoking. Although there's no definitive temperature uh, differences in your hand, Mr. Fraser. So, so I, I just throw this thing to the floor. Uh, okay. And take take her ladyship's arm and say, your, your ladyship, are, are you quite all right? Would you care to sit down? It's very shocking. You feel like you've been woken up from in the middle of a dream. You're a bit tense at this point, uh, Lady Elizabeth. Fraser, what did you do? Just that thing, it, it, it attached itself to you, your ladyship. It was harming you. What could I do? I, I took it off you, of course. Harming me? What are you talking about, man? It had clutched itself around your face. It had the, 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 the prongs of it were attaching themselves to your skin. It's not right. I'm going to put a hand up to my face. Like, do I feel like any wounds or or anything? You don't feel wounds specifically, Mm -hmm. but you do feel like someone had put maybe some sewing pins. You don't feel, there's no blood on the tips of your fingers, but you do feel not, maybe divots is the wrong word, but there are little impressions, but they're, it's not painful per se. 
I'm sure it was just fine, Fraser. I saw father in one of his tarts. You, you were That's screaming, all. your ladyship. You were screaming. How can I have been fine? I was not. Don't be ridiculous. Mr. Courtney. There's a stiff knock at the door. You can hear um, the staff. You hear a member of staff outside. Is everything all right in there? Good heavens. I kind of look at her ladyship. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this. I'll deal with this. Here, I'll, allow me to help you to sit down. I'll sit down crankily. I'll, I'll go and, and open the door a crack and, and see how, who's out there. I'm assuming uh, um, it's Mr. Hughes. It is Mr. Hughes. Yes. yes. Is everything all right? Everything's everything's quite all right, Mr. Hughes. Yes, our ladyship had a had a slight turn. That's that's all. It's nothing to concern yourself over. We have it in hand. Thank you. He takes the hint after maybe a heartbeat and then walks back down towards the kitchen. I'm going to leave the three of you there for the moment. Um, I'd like to tune the camera to uh, to Maggie, uh, probably at her house with uh, Aunt Edith. Yep. So you've come back now after the events of. Uh, of seeing Professor Smith. So how are you breaking it to your aunt, or are you breaking it that you're that you're leaving? I believe Aunt Edith was excited that I was getting to go off on this adventure, and also that I would be aiding the professor in in a way as well in solving his mystery. So yes, I would be packing, but I did have some questions because Maggie is not. Uh, well-traveled yet. So she was hoping to find out some information about these places that we'll be visiting so that Maggie knows what to pack. Sure. Possibly via a travel agency of sorts or a travel book. Hmm. Yeah, no, there are several uh, travel books and travel guides that you could obtain relatively, yes. relatively easily. What specifics do you think you'd be looking for? Partially the climate where we'll be going in the upcoming months so that I know what clothes to pack and if, if I'm going to need colder or warmer weather clothes. And then maybe if there are any um, interesting sights to see in those cities. I'm not sure what our schedule is going to be like exactly yet. I mean, maybe we'll have some downtime so we could do some sightseeing. So possibly information on that or, or just places to stay in the areas. Yeah, you collect a travel guide fairly quickly and you'll have the ability at that point to research it and just try to make either make connections as far as suggested hotels or get the appropriate clothes. So uh, France is, um, I would imagine, not too terribly different in the winter than England is, although I suppose as you move through the countryside, it will be a little warmer just given its uh, position towards the equator. Uh, you do know that the Orient Express also goes towards some colder climates, too. So you know at least when you're talking about Belgrade and stuff like that, uh, you would need you would likely need something uh, much warmer. Okay, yep. And I would um, enlist Aunt Edith's help in packing as well, just to keep her involved. I don't want her to get down at all seeing you know my excitement and me getting ready and I don't want to push her to the side by any means so I would be kind of looping her in with where I'll be going and having her help me pack and help me pick out various outfits and, and things that I want to bring. I Maggie may have a lot of bags because she's also going to bring her travel typewriter and her, her notebook and, and some various items. Well yeah you can't leave uh, unarmed right you have to have the typewriter. Yes exactly. On the contrary, your aunt is almost supercharged by the idea that you're <laughs> getting out to do something. She feels um, invigorated. 
uh, and she can't wait to tell you know all of her friends at a bridge club or uh, the next social event to uh, tell about how a member of her family is traveling the world and is going on this amazing journey and yes and, and Edith I'll be sure to write to you frequently so that you have more information to share and, and possibly I can um, even maybe get a camera to take some pictures along the way to send to you. Oh, you, you must. You must take a camera. I'll, I'll see to it that you leave with one immediately. Oh, that would be delightful. You know, I, I do have some contacts in the local newspaper. Oh. So, so perhaps um, if you write me some things, I could get them into the papers here. Oh, wow. That would be that would be great. I mean, that could really, really launch my career as a travel writer. I would be eternally grateful, Ann Edith. One, one of the uh, one of the men I know, uh, there's a Mr. Mahoney that uh, runs a paper here locally. It's a, a little more um, on the flirtatious uh, side socially, <laughs> but uh, but it wouldn't be difficult for me to suggest uh, some of your writings to him. Oh, Aunt Edith, Mr. Mahoney and the professor? Well, we're just friends, dear. <laughs> I'm just, uh, you seem like quite the catch. You have these men flocking about you, Annie. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've aged like a fine wine, I think. She seems to gesture <laughs> a bit to her. You know. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, I should probably write to Father as well and let him know that I'll be traveling about. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that your father would love to know that you're going on a, a grand adventure. That may be a strong word, Aunt Edith, but I do think that he would appreciate me uh, sharing with him where I'll be. Wonderful. Well, if there's anything that I can get you beyond the camera, then you uh, you let me know. Of course, of course, Aunt Edith. Hmm. And we'll have to have, maybe before I set out, we'll have to um, have a, just a grand dinner, just the two of us, maybe. That sounds wonderful. All right, so I'm going to shift the camera to... Simon. And I'd like to get an idea of how he is preparing specifically to begin this journey, as he is a man of of preparation. Well, first, I'm going to begin by telephoning Pierce. Okay. Not hard at all? Excuse me, ma'am. May I speak to Major Pierce? Mm, uh, Major. Yes. Yes, of course. Uh, One moment. She. You on hold for a second and then you get uh, through to him. This is Pierce. Major. Uh, apparently we are moving. I will be traveling, so I'm going to need to make some preparations. Of course, of course. Do you know um, by what method? Train. Let's see. All right, then. What uh, what type of arrangements can I help? I'm going to need some supplies, sir. Absolutely. You hear the phone shift a bit. Just um, go ahead and give me your list, and I'll make sure. And then I'll need to know uh, what train you'll be on, and I'll make sure that the uh, supplies get to you. All right, so I'll drop the list off in person. Hmm, good. Well, uh, what what does it look like? Uh, any uh, any idea? Well, apparently, uh, Mr. Courtney, the professor, has some item from uh, Dr. Smith. Hmm. We'll be using that. There's uh, some information that is about pieces of a device, hmm. and we're going to be tracking these down. All right, good man. Now, make sure before you leave London, you don't leave any stones unturned here. These uh, these Turks are synonymous with double crosses and foul, foul decisions. It's funny you should mention Turks. We've been having some issues with them. Well, we got word, advance word, uh, just recently that they're 
may have been a dig upset in that northern Greece area I talked about. And it's possible the people who did the uh, upsetting there were Turkish. Can you have that information ready for me when I drop off my list? I'll do my best. It's not much. Um, I have a couple of names I can give you. I don't have any pictures, but I can give you an idea of what they were trying to do. It seems the contractors that uh, Professor Smith was using were all murdered. Uh, That's unfortunate. It is. It is. But it shows you specifically what they're willing to go to, which is why your supplies, they're going to have to be up to snuff. Absolutely, sir. All right, then when, uh, when, when do you plan to stop by? I will drop the list off in about two hours, sir. I'm going to pack my regular bags, pick up my sundries, and uh, yes, sir, be prepared. Wishes you a good day and hangs up the receiver. I'm going to finish packing my bags that I have at the boarding house. I'm going to head over to Clothier's, the tailor that uh, Pierce mentioned, and I'm going to check out to see if there I can have a couple travel suits uh, tailored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just basic suits, uh, like tweeds or whatnot. Yeah, it shouldn't be uh, any issue. They have some things on the rack they might be able to closer match, make it a little faster. Uh, but other than that, it's it's not too not too much of a trouble for them to get it done for you. And do they have any boots? Oh, absolutely. A full selection. All right. Um, an actual pair of boots, not military, that go up all the way up the calf, but a pair of boots that say a big, um, would be worn in Africa. So yeah, there's probably quite a few, I wouldn't say surplus is the wrong word, but the style would be available anyway. If you asked them, if you told them what you were looking for. Okay. So that's, that's not difficult at all. Okay. And otherwise, uh, I'm going to go buy a bookshop and look for one or two books regarding the Orient Express, this travel. Mm Mm-hmm. And are uh, anything on Greece as well, plus a, a book on basic learning Greek if they have those. Give me a luck roll. So the um, the book on the Orient Express and and then travel and whatnot is relatively easy to get a hold of. Books on Greece are relatively reasonably to get easy to get a hold of. Learning a language is a little different. Forty-one under fifty-nine. Okay, yeah. Uh, the gentleman behind the counter says, "I, I, I do have, um, I do have something that that might fit. Um, it, it, of course, would be far easier if you had a, a teacher to go along with it. But you look like you're a sharp man." He puts the book uh, on the table. Thank you, sir. I'll take these three then. Very well. He wraps. He begins to wrap them up for you. All right. So. What I want to do is I want to shift back to Kensington. Lady Elizabeth, you've had the opportunity now to, for a moment, recover. You heard uh, someone come to the door and uh, Miss Fraser was able to to beat the horde back of, of concerned staff. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Richard is, has probably um, quickly recovered this, uh, this device from the floor, I would imagine. He's probably concerned. Very much so, so Richard would have picked it up and checked that nothing was broken. I do hope it's all right. No, it doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be anything out of place. Even the lenses, the tines themselves on those lenses seem really sturdy. 
if we're going to experiment with this thing, we, we need to treat it with some degree of respect. Excuse me, Mr. Courtney? That contraption of yours, whatever it is, attached itself to her ladyship's face, clearly causing her some discomfort, provoked in her, well, the outburst that you yourself cannot deny. You heard. And you are more worried about your piece of metal and glass than you are about her ladyship. I would suggest, sir, that you have your priorities somewhat confused. I would not ask anybody to do something that I haven't first done myself several times. I'm... I, I dispute this is dangerous. Do you deny that that thing, whatever it is, clamped itself onto her ladyship's head and face and, and caused her, her to start screaming in the manner that, that, that we both heard? But this is no different, surely, from, you know, a, a dream or something similar to that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've been rolling around and, and cried out before, and it, it, this is no different. If I clamped your head in a contraption and caused you to start screaming, what would you think of me, sir? <laughs> well, I... Because I'm sure that given the opportunity, I, I could I could make that happen. And we shall see whether it is little more than a dream or... Gentlemen, that will be I'm enough... I'm terribly sorry, Your Ladyship. That will be enough, Mr. Fraser. I do apologise. I do appreciate your concern for my well-being. However, I feel fine. I'm sure it was just what whatever it was. I don't remember screaming. If you say I did, I suppose I must have, but I'm sure it was just perhaps some shock at the fact that it actually appears to work. I'm not sure, Your Ladyship, that that doesn't concern me even more, the fact that you, you weren't aware of it. I mean, with all due respect to Mr. Courtney, we hardly know the man. I'm sure it was just, as I said, an outcry of surprise or, or shock. You... you make un things that you're unaware of all the time, certain sounds and so on. I'm sure it was just that. I feel fine, Fraser. There's no need to distress Mr. Courtney here any further. You, you know, Your Ladyship, that I, I only have your best interests at heart, and and if this thing, what whatever it is, is, is calling you pain and discomfort, uh, then I, I, it is my duty and my obligation to ensure that uh, it is removed from you and, and, and does so no more. Yes, and I appreciate your vigilance. However, it does appear to work, so I would like to continue discussing with Mr. Courtney what is exactly going on here. Very well, Your Ladyship. Um, uh, I, well, I, I shall um, leave you with Mr. Courtney then, if that is your desire. And uh, You are welcome to stay, Fraser. I wouldn't want you to be fretting. Just perhaps calm yourself a little bit. I won't put it back on for the moment. I just, I just worry what would have happened if, if it remained attached to you, Your Ladyship. I, I just, I just, I. We don't know what this thing is or, or what it does, and I, I, I could never live with myself if you, if you came to any serious harm as, as a result of your experimentations with, with this kind of thing. I'm gonna smile at him fondly. I know, and I appreciate your vigilance. I'm sure we'll be fine. I won't put it on again, at least not now. Just, just observe, Fraser. Of course, very good, Your Ladyship. I'll turn back to Richard. So, most importantly, what, what did you see? I saw Father in one of his tarts. I don't think it was the opera singer, but it wasn't one I'd seen before. Uh, and I'm going to describe uh, describe the scene that I saw. I'm not quite sure how long ago it was, though, but it was in this house. 
Well, just as you're remembering back, you, you do remember your father being quite a bit younger um, than you remember him, obviously, when, when mm-hmm. having recently passed. Maybe 15, 20 years. You remember him as he was when you were a, a child. Mm-hmm. It must have been a good 20 years or so. I haven't seen him that young and healthy since almost as long as I can remember. It was quite surprising. Fascinating. Well, that's excellent news. If the same configuration of lenses did the same thing again this time for somebody different, then I, I, I believe we're making progress. Yes. I just uh, I wish I could have seen more. But the book was open, Professor. The book was open. Did it um, did it have locks on it um, still, or, or was it sort of as normal without uh, without this work? Uh, did I see the the locks? As you remember back to the vision, you remember seeing the corners almost in your vision. Your eyes could gave you the sensory perception of how cold that metal was, mm-hmm. and you do remember seeing just tracing the line down on the outside of the book you remember seeing the locks on on the book they were there which means he had to have had some way to open it I understand um, the the reluctance to to let you um, um, should we say uh, use this device again but um Nothing to stop me from having a go, maybe. That's true. Look over at Fraser. I'm certain Mr. Fraser doesn't object. Mr. Fraser's face is a a mask, an impassive (laughs) mask. (laughs) (laughs) Courtney does and does not do with this device is his own concern. So, would you mind uh, obliging, Professor? Not at all. Uh, Richard will uh, collect up the device. Okay, so are you going to keep the lenses in the same configuration? Absolutely. Okay. So now I'd like you to make me a power roll. So that's 74 under 80. So that's a success. Okay. Um, You place the device against your face, and much as it did with her, it adheres to your face, the and uh, you see the lenses that are unused come down around the sides of the professor's face here. And the only person who has the benefit of having seen what happened previously is Mr. Fraser. You can tell that when Richard puts it on, it's more like a glove that fits rather than when Lady Elizabeth put it on, it was more like a glove that was made to be fit. And so the professor puts us against his face. It feels like a natural fit. You don't know why you get that impression, but it it almost appears that way. It glides into position. I kind of look at her ladyship while while this is going on and just with with a kind of look that that implies that um, this is what happened to you when you put it on. (laughs) pretty much I'm just sort of staring at it fascinating you see the professor stand 
just leaned against the no, not lean, but maybe an, an arm against the the nearby table here. Uh, and he seems as calm as ever, although he is not moving. He is standing almost stone still. Richard, you are whisked away through your vision to a, a place you've never seen. Uh, you see rolling foothills, uh, a beautiful mountain uh, in the background, which is framed by uh, dark skies and clouds. The earth and the trees here are uh, thick and old. The branches are knotted, and uh, even the lower hanging ones seem to be thick with age. Uh, outside this thick forest, not but just a few paces from where you're standing, there's a, an earthy uh, hut that sits in the ground. You can tell just by looking at the hut itself. It's probably handmade uh, in the sense that uh, there's nothing prefabricated about it. It could be here, could have been here for a hundred years. It could have been here for a thousand years. Uh, it has definitely shown its wear and age against the weather. A you know, relatively simple thatched roof, which seems to have been reinforced by simply more and more thatching to keep it from, uh, keep the rain out. Uh, there are two figures nearby this hut. Uh, one is an, a much older woman, and one is a much younger woman. I would say younger, like perhaps no uh, more than 10 or 11 winters old. The woman is, she's definitely croned by now. She's in her 50s or 60s, long, spidery white hair that goes down probably below her waist. Uh, and she's stirring a mighty pot, a huge cooking pot that's on top of a, a simmering fire. And you can see the waves of smoke uh, and uh, cooking heat come out of the pot itself. And she seems to be stirring it with a, a very deft hand. Uh, as the stew is continuing to, to move about, you can see that the younger woman is definitely, or this girl for that matter, is looking into, she's trying to get up on her toes to see what's in the pot. Uh, and you're drawn closer, your vision is drawn closer to this pot. And as it draws closer, the spoon is pulled from this stew pot. Inside the ladle of this spoon, there's a deep red sauce. And connected to it, there seem to be bits of some sort of chicken. Uh, perhaps it's a it's a chicken with skin still on the the meat and bone. And she seems to scoop it around a bit until she gets a good portion of this collected food. And then she cradles this young girl's neck and feeds her a very hearty spoonful. And as the child takes this into her body, you feel almost a sense of appreciation from the youth. Um, but really, it isn't until that sauce, uh, which dribbles down her chin and onto her neck, it really isn't until that happens that you get the sense that it isn't chicken. And that something awful 
is happening here. The older woman looks up from the child and looks in your direction and then goes back to looking at the child and gives her another sweet caress on her hair and says, eat up, child. You'll need your strength for what's to come. And it's at that point the vision ends. Now, for those of you in the room, Richard never makes a sound. He doesn't move until he comes out of it. It lasts maybe a minute. But you get the benefit of seeing the front of his face. And with this device attached to the front of his face, his eyes, which are now looking through these lenses, uh, have taken on the color of the lenses. And they're almost hyper bright when he wears the device. Professor? Very suspicious of this device. I'm a little surprised that he didn't start screaming as well, but I don't, I don't really understand what's going on with this thing. So, Professor, yes. are you all right? I'm fine, thank you. Another another fantastic journey. Um, lamentably, I don't think um, I went back in time, or certainly no uh, amount of time that, that, that seems plausible. Um, the, the mount, there was a, a mountain and some some hills, uh, a large forest and a, a mud hut and some people. Um, but uh, yes, I don't, unfortunately, certainly I didn't, uh, I didn't see your father in the book or, or anybody else um, uh, with, with him or, or that could have been with him for that matter. I'm afraid I think I've drawn a blank um, as far as opening this thing goes. But um, yes, fascinating nonetheless. I um, appreciate this probably seems incredibly rude, but would you would you give me a moment? I'm every every time I I go on a journey, I I like to record what happens because um, there there must be a pattern to, to how this works, and with the more the more information that I can record, the more detail, the the more likely it is that I can be sure of reaching a conclusion uh, um, from a hypothesis to a theory about how this functions. Um, I, would you mind terribly? Of course not. But oh, don't you think you. you should take that thing off your face? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of that thing on your face, just for accounting purposes, Richard, uh, go ahead and deduct eight points of magic. You are nearly exhausted physically. Yeah. Okay. Don't wait now. Mr. Courtney, this is, this is all a, a terribly entertaining parlor trick, but... Exactly what use is it in trying to open this book that you're trying to look inside? What connection has it? What of what purpose does it serve? Well, we we don't know, but um, the professor, Professor Smith, was was very keen that uh, you know that we we worked together on this. Um, and my he 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 wasn't particularly explicit, but my. My interpretation was that the the book somehow contained instructions or more information on um, how to operate this or how it was built, where it came from. I I don't know exactly. Well, um, as as I understand it, the the book contains some information on how to uh, uh, how to find the this um, the, the scroll, this um, Sedefkar scrolls, which purportedly have uh, the ritual to destroy the simulacrum. Is that not correct? I don't really understand how your, how your um, 
photographic time machine device fits into the, the, the puzzle. No, and I have to confess, it's a, it's a mystery to me also, and I, I do recall the conversation, yes, about the scrolls, but, um, hmm, I mean, they, they, this is clearly a, an extensive work. Who, who knows what, what, what it might cover? Well, your device also did give me the information that Father had a way to open this, so that gives me a start at least. I would love to try again, see if you could tell me any more. Might I offer a suggestion? Um, the, the the locks here. Um, as I say, given the size of them, the they they have some age, though they're perhaps not as old as the book. They they must be of limited complexity to a point where I'm sure a, a competent locksmith would be able to open this. So, on the basis that a competent locksmith can't open this, perhaps we're not looking for a key perhaps we're or not in the traditional sense perhaps we're looking for i don't know uh some other sort of token a device or uh, uh, something else to put in there that that might cause the the clasps to unlatch perhaps we're thinking about this too mechanically does just like might just uh, out of character does does this um Whatever it is, this this the seal around the book. Does it actually appear to have um, any kind of uh, a keyhole in it? There is a method. There is a, what you would term as a keyhole, but yeah, you don't have a key for it here at the house. At least from not from what you can see of the outside of the lock. But is is it like a standard keyhole shaped hole in it, or is it some different? It is shape? not, in fact, a standard keyhole shape. Uh, it's much more of a jagged, almost double Z stacked on top of one another. And I say Z for the, um, for the English <laughs> just so you, you all know I know how to speak the language properly. I just choose not to. <laughs> now that's an interesting idea, Professor. It would seem to me, would it not, rather simpler to locate the key? Yes. Well... Father sent this without the key. Perhaps the key is back at the house. Yes, I would assume it's not here, since he probably would have kept the key with him, and he had this uh, at Maplebrook. So, hmm, perhaps I need to pay my darling brother Raymond a visit. What, is it far, this other house? Only a few hours. Yes. Certainly worth exploring, I think. About what time of day is it, Mike? Midday, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. We've been at this a little while now. So, shall we plan a trip tomorrow, day trip? If we go early in the morning, we could be back in the evening? Of course, Your Ladyship. I'll, I'll make the arrangements. Thank you. Of course, don't tell Raymond why we're coming. We can make something up, I trust you. Yes, um, of course, um... I'll, I'll speak to the staff there and uh, and let them know that you're you're coming and they can uh, prepare your room for you. And uh, Mr. Courtney, um, we'll, we'll have a room prepared for yourself as well, of course. Um, oh, yeah, yes, I could come too. That's a fantastic idea. Yes, you're rather going to be my pretext, I think. If, yes, I, 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 I do beg your pardon. I, I was assume, assuming, your ladyship, that you wish Mr. Courtney to accompany you. Of course. You're coming, of course, uh, Professor. And she says it with the complete authority of this is happening no matter what you think you want to do tomorrow. <laughs> yes, I think it will be um, it's very interesting. 
I am keen to open this book. As am I. So let me let me shift the camera really quick to um, to Maggie again. Uh, Maggie, your aunt later that day comes in with uh, several boxes. Okay. She arrives with hat boxes and luggage boxes <laughs> and all sorts of things that just spill out all over the place. She is more than happy to uh, to help you pack. She also comes in with something that looks relatively new. She said, "I've I've I've had staff here go and um um and and." Uh, pop down and, and get me one of these new cameras. Uh, and so I, I want you to take a look at it and make sure that you know how it works. Oh, yes, of, of course. Um, I'll have to familiar, familiarize myself with it. She um, opens the box up and you see that the camera is uh, way, way more compact than you thought it was going to be. Oh, well, this is quite travel friendly, Aunt Edith. It is. It is. It's um. It's uh, made by a German company. They said it's uh. It's just the. It's the newest thing. Yeah, how interesting that they can pack so much into such a tiny little case here. Oh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's a thirty-five millimeter camera. Mm-hmm. And it's got all sorts of knobs and. And dials on it, you'll be able to, uh, uh, and it even seems to have some sort of thing that comes up, like, and you see that there are numbers on it? Yeah, the most advanced of technologies. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the case is actually fairly small in comparison yeah. to what you were expecting. Familiarize yourself with it before you go. Make sure that you know how to use it. I want to see every picture you can possibly get me. Of course, of course I will. Perhaps I could take a, a photo or two of you even, Aunt Edith, before I leave. Of course. She stands up against the wall and you see she does this kind of strange, um, almost uh, art deco, like French pose against the wall. And she kind of tilts her hand back and she, she covers her forehead with the back of her hand. <laughs> it is so difficult to be this beautiful. You, you must understand it's tiring. Oh, I can't imagine, Aunt Edith. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so have the a lot of you decided when you're leaving? Um, no. You know, I was just thinking about that. I haven't heard from the Lady Elizabeth or uh, Mr. Fraser or anyone uh, yet. I unfortunately, it seems like we have quite blundered our um, coordinating of events. Mm. Well, I always say. Be on the uptake and yep. go rattle their cages. Don't get left behind. Oh, of course, yes. I do know where the Lady Elizabeth lives now, so. Mm. And I believe she loves it when I show up unannounced. As any American should. <laughs> of course. She leaves you to your um, your packing and your camera examinations. Yes. But, um... I've been working on my... Letter to my father. So oh, wonderful. I will have that prepared. Wonderful. Well, I think that is a good of time as any at the moment to close this episode of Horror on the Orient Express Down. I hope all of our listeners are enjoying it. I know our players seem to be having a raucous time, which will only get better. We will see you all next episode.